This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. What a great weekend. Beautiful out there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely stunningly beautiful. So, great place to be on a Sunday morning. Welcome to church. For those of you who are brand new, my name is Ron. Uh, I'm the founding pastor of this church, and it's my privilege over the next 30 minutes to share what might be, well, it's something I'm just learning and just getting my heart in tune with. So it's part of my spiritual journey and what God's doing in my life. But it also might be the biggest challenge I've ever laid out for our church. Are you up for that? Yes, indeed. Thank you. We are going to have a great morning. And uh, so there you go. There's some challenge and inspiration in that. For those of you who are brand new to our church, I just wrote in my notes, we love newbies. Okay? And that's just the way it is. Uh, you don't have to earn your way into our church. You're here this morning, and that means you belong here just as much as we do. We want you to be just as comfortable as we are. I oftentimes tell people this is the church that no one comes to because they have to. Uh, everybody comes here because they want to, and I hope that that's your experience this morning. I'm going to explain a couple of things to you that you can find in your program. You'll find uh, these two tools that we use every Sunday. The first is this uh, sheet of notes. There's some uh, uh, fill-in-the-blanks on there. So if you're a, a visual learner and that really helps you learn and remember, feel free to take the pencil from the chair back in front of you or on the chair where you're sitting and fill in the, the missing words and write down any other thoughts you might have as I teach this morning. Uh, and then the second tool is this card that we commonly call a connect card. It says start here on one side and connect card on the other side. It's the beginning of a dialogue between you and this church. So if you want to start that dialogue, I would encourage you to start it this morning. It gives you the opportunity to ask for information, volunteer for some program that, that we're involved in. It gives you the opportunity to share how you're going to apply what, what I'm teaching about this morning, as well as there's a place on there for you to write down something that's going on in your life that you would like our staff to pray about, uh, just so we can partner with you in that way. But it, it all begins with all of us putting our names and email addresses on the front, so that when that comes to our staff, we actually know who the stuff on the back belongs to. So if you'll put your name and email address on the front of that, and just set it aside at the end of our service. We'll be collecting those along with tithes and offerings and so forth. That way, we all have a way to participate. So, this morning is the continuation of a teaching series called We, um, Me to We. And sort of in layman's terms, it's about the journey of moving from a church that's about me to a church that's more about we. And I can tell you that a church that's more about we and less about me is a whole lot more fun to, be to belong to. Just like a family that's more about we than it is about me is a whole lot more fun than a family that's about me. And so, in short, it means moving from what, what can this church do for me to moving toward what can we as a church do about the needs of people around us and the needs in this world. And so I'm going to teach us a biblical principle this morning, and then I'm going to apply that biblical principle to uh, a world problem that most of us probably thought was unsolvable in our lifetime and demonstrate how that world problem could actually be solved in one generation 
if we actually put our minds to it and got together about that. And then I'm going to show us a way that we can participate in that. So uh, it's going to be a little bit like a drink out of a fire hose. So you got to get ready to listen and listen in a hurry. All right. So uh, here we go. Here's the biblical principle. You'll see it out of this passage. And God gives us an insightful word picture in this passage. And basically he's telling us that the church is, is like a human body. And so he says, and I've, I've listed, you can see that at the top, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27 would actually be 16 verses, but I've only excerpted a little bit out of it, the salient parts. But if you wanted to and you got home, you could look it up in your Bible and read all 16 verses. God says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. Now, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? I have an uncle who's a pastor, and somehow he was paraphrasing this without actually reading it one day, and here's how it came out. If the whole body were a foot, how would it smell? (laughs) Paul avoided that little faux pas there and stated it a little better than that. He said, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. Now, how strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but one body. So the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. Try that when something's in your eye. Yeah, you'll use your hand in a hurry. And the head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, all of you together are Christ's body, or all of you together are the church, and each of you is a part of it. Now, there's a lot of different principles that we could teach out of that, but I'm just going to point our our attention toward two. And that is a human body needs to be together in purpose and action. Believe it or not, in your human body, your left hand usually, in fact, almost always knows what your right hand is doing. And often when your right hand is doing something, your left hand will chip in and get in on the action. For instance, if you tied your shoes this morning, I'm pretty sure both hands got in on the action, and your right hand knew what your left hand was doing, and vice versa. You, your hands were together in purpose and action, and oftentimes our bodies work not just as, as a conglomeration of individual parts, The parts become a union, they become one, and they work together as a single unit. That's by God's design. That's when our bodies actually accomplish the most. The second principle is this, that the human body is virtually unmatched in, in potential and productivity. If you look around the world, everything that you see that is man-made is a testament to the productivity and the potential of the human body. Because when we get our bodies working together and we get enough of those bodies all put together, we can invent things that are crazy complicated. We can make things that are truly astounding and we can do vast things that are almost incomprehensible. Every single thing that's made by humans is a testament to what can happen when the individual parts of a human body and a number of human bodies decide to collaborate together and work as one unit. It's a testament to what can be done. Now, God recognized this, and so he said this. 
The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, and I won't get into what that story is, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. I want you to underline, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. The power of we is astounding. For instance, let's take a snowflake. An individual snowflake is virtually powerless. The smallest child among us could take a snowflake and crush it between their fingers with no effort at all. But you put a few million of those together and they will paralyze a whole city. Right? Yeah. It's the power of working together. What what kind of change could a mere 56 people make in our world? Look around the audience. There's way more than 56 people here. What kind of change could 56 people make in the whole world? Do you realize there were only 56 people who signed the Declaration of Independence? And they formed the world's first democratic republic and they changed the history of the world. 56 people. You see, the power of we is virtually unlimited. So I want to take the power of we this morning and I want to apply it to a world problem that most of us feel probably have felt was unsolvable. Before we do that, I want to go back and I want to review what Pastor Kevin said to us last week, because part of this review becomes really critical to the illustration that I'm going to give. This series of teachings is about a generosity jumpstart for our church for this year. It's about us taking the next step in generosity in order to put together the resources to do some amazing things that God wants to do in our church. And so Kevin challenged us last week with this challenge. If if we're coming to this church regularly and we're not currently giving anything, then we should determine to become a purposeful giver. That's the first step in generosity. Did you know that if you purposed to give... $20 a week, and you could even set that up to be automatically coming from your your, uh, bank account so that you never missed it. But if you gave just $20 a week, by the end of of one full calendar year, you would have invested more than $1,000 in a cause that's very close to Christ's heart. And through the ministries of this church, you would be sending people into Mexico to build a house. You would be sending people into Mexico to work in an orphanage. More than likely, you would be sending people to India to work with people in southern India. You would be helping save marriages. You would be helping people break addictions in their life. You would be helping small children learn that God loves them. The things that God does in and through this church, you would be investing in all of those, and you would be taking the first step of generosity toward the causes that are closest to to Christ's heart. The second step, if you are a purposeful giver, 
would be to say, I'm going to become a percentage giver. And the difference between those two is a person who has decided to give a percentage of their income, let's just say it was 2% or 5%, so you go to work and you get a raise, well, guess what? If you get a raise, God's church gets a raise, right? Because you're giving a percentage of your income. If you get a bonus, God's church gets a bonus, and you're learning now to take what God has trusted to you, and you're learning to give a percentage of it, and, and so it goes, it, it blesses God's church as you get blessed. That's a great thing to do. It's the next step. The third step is this, to become a tither. And this is the one I want you to circle because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate for the next maybe 10 minutes the tremendous power that God has put there if we will catch that vision. And that's really what God calls all of his followers to, is that we would give 10%. That's what tithe means, 10% of our income. Kevin talks about that often. I want to show you why Kevin talks about that so often, because it's a key component to the church doing what God wants the church to do. And then last of all is you could become an extravagant giver if you're a tither. Monica and I, years ago, made the decision that we would always be extravagant givers. We would always give over and above the 10%. And I can tell you that the portion of the money that we have given up above and beyond the 10% has actually been maybe the most fun. Because with it, we have supported people who have gone uh, to Bible college. With it, we have sent missionaries, I'm going to guess, to somewhere around 20 countries around the world. We have helped students on college campuses come to Christ. We have funded people who have done all sorts of things. We've helped add to the staff of our church. She and I together have helped build five church buildings that we know of around the world. It's just an amazing thing to be able to be an extravagant giver and to say, hey, this is, this is like, I don't know, fun money that, that we get to invest in. In God's kingdom. So for the next 10 minutes or so, let's talk about that tithing thing and let's figure out how we could um, work at taking the tithe and making a difference in our world. I want to tell you a story first before we get into that. I will never forget the actual world problem we're going to work on is extreme world po poverty. How's that for a big problem? Yeah, that's huge. Okay. Did you know that 1.2 billion people in our world live in extreme poverty? And by extreme poverty, I mean they live on less than $1.25 a day. They couldn't even walk into Starbucks and buy a cup of coffee with what they're going to get that day. 1.2 billion people. Did you know that 3 million children, this year alone, 3 million children, that's half of the population of the Bay Area, the whole Bay Area, 3 million will die from hunger. If you throw in the adults this year who will die from hunger, it goes to 7.5 million. That's m way more people than live in the entire Bay Area. All are going to die this year, purely from hunger. I'll never forget the first time 
that I came face to face with extreme poverty. Monica and I had just deboarded a plane uh, and landed in Mumbai, India. And it was about 3.30 in the morning, and we had uh, gone to the baggage claim area, and we had picked up our baggage, and, and uh, we, had to, we had to go to a different airport in order to catch our connecting flight to southern India. And we, we, we were walking outside the airport with our bags, and we were greeted by probably 150 children under the age of 12 at 3.30 in the morning. And my first thought is, what are children this age doing up at this hour of the day? And then I realized the answer. They were too hungry to sleep. I'd never seen that. Many of them were under the age of five. Some were under the age of two. It was awful. We boarded the bus about 30 minutes later, and we started heading to the other airport. And the road that took us from the first airport to the second airport went through a slum. You may have seen pictures of them before. Tens of thousands of cardboard lean-to hovels all massed together on the side of a hill in, in a valley. And we were shocked at that. But then as we looked, we we noticed that there were people along the road and they were squatting either over or beside mud holes or potholes in the road. And it was about 4.30 in the morning and the sun was just coming up. And these were people who had made their way out of that mass of of cardboard lean-tos. And they were relieving themselves in a pothole. And then next to them, someone was washing dishes in another pothole. And next to them, someone was scooping up water to drink it out of that pothole. There were no labels, just available potholes. At first, I was repulsed. It made me sick to my stomach. And then I was just overcome. And I turned to Monica and tears, tears were coming down my cheeks. And I said to her, dear, there's no way out for these people. There isn't. There's no education in there. There, there are no resources. Those people could never get out of there if they wanted to. And what's worse is, that was a prison they were born into. I could have been born in that place. That's a prison they were born into. It's a prison where they will live sort of sentenced by poverty for the rest of their life, and they will die in that prison. Now, we try to blame their religion, and we try to blame corruption in politics, and, and we have all sorts of sort of mental games that we play so that we somehow don't feel so bad and don't feel responsible for what's going on there. But I can tell you this, all the blame in the world doesn't fix that. Now, at this point, I could just dismiss this and we'd all go home and feel awful, right? 
Okay, that's not the goal, all right? Uh, I want to show us over the next few minutes that we could do something about that. And I want to show all of us the virtually unlimited power of we if we'll all work together. There's not a single problem in our world that if we got enough people working on it, we couldn't solve because God has put that sort of potential in us. And listen, there's, there's virtually not a single problem in our world that couldn't be solved through the church. Often we say from this very stage, the local church is the hope of the world. I want to show you how that works in real time with real statistics and real figures. Are you ready for that? All right, here, let's take a look. In 2009, uh, the two wealthiest men in America, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, each one of them has somewhere between 60 and $80 billion of assets, okay? In 2009, they challenged uh, a group of billionaires from the Forbes 400 list. They challenged them to meet in New York City for a special meeting, and they got many of them together, and they laid out this challenge. There are multiple problems in this world that require a lot of resources to solve, and we have a lot of resources, and there's, there's no way in the world we could spend all the money we have. So here's the deal. The two of us want to challenge all the rest of you because we're going to do it to give away 50% of your entire uh, wealth in your lifetime. Is that a generous thing? Shake your head like this. Yeah, that's a great thing. To date, 56 of them have taken that challenge. And they have said in our lifetime, we're going to give away 50% of our wealth. Now, a lot of their wealth is not actually liquid where they could just write out a check for half of their income. So they're figuring out how they can, can convert into liquidity uh, that 50%. It will take them about 20 years in order to get that all done. So let's just suppose, not just 56 of them, let's suppose that all 400 of, of the top people on the Forbes 400 list Let's suppose they all took the challenge and they all got on board with that and in the next 20 years they all gave away 50% of their assets. Here's what it would do. 50% over 20 years would yield $30 billion a year. Over 20 years, that's $600 billion. Do you think that could make a dent in world poverty? Yeah. And that's just 400 people. When I looked at that, I thought, there is some hope in our world. I think this could happen. But friends, I was not prepared for what was God, God was about ready to do to me next. Okay? Because as I dug a little deeper into statistics, I thought, I wonder what the church could do. Are you ready? In the United States of America alone... There are 138 million people who go to church two times a month or more. These are what we would call regular church attenders who have a church home, who get challenged just like I'm challenging us today to get on board and be part of the solution. There are 138 million of us just in America. 
Now, if just that 138 million people were to give 10% of their income, take a look at what could happen. It would generate $250 billion per year. And if we did that over one generation, that's 40 years, it would generate, look at this number, $10 trillion. How cool is that? Did you know that the American church has the ability to stop extreme world poverty? God has already given us the resources. The problem is, Many of us don't yet tithe. Friends, this is why Kevin keeps saying, let's learn how to tithe. I'll show you how this works in our church in just a little bit. But I want you to know that the resources to handle a problem that's so big that most people in the world think it could never be solved, that we could actually end world poverty in one generation. Does that get you excited? That gets me excited. Yes. Imagine that. Remember the snowflakes? You put enough of them together. Amazing things happen. 56 people changed the world. What could 138 million Christians do? So that's the first challenge in meeting the problem is we'd have to pull together the resources. And I think you can see that the church in just America has the resources to actually handle that problem. But then the next problem you get into is how would you distribute it all? I mean, how are you going to get that $10 trillion where it needs to be? Now, yes, not all of the $10 trillion would go toward world poverty. But you know something? If even half of that went toward world poverty, $5 trillion Yeah, I'm pretty sure we could do it for that. Now, how would we get it distributed? How would we make sure it didn't fall into the hands of crooked people who would take that and then turn around and sell those goods to the very poor people we were trying to help? Because that's a very real problem. We would want to get that in the hands of trustworthy people. So I started looking at distribution points. Where could we find enough distribution points to handle that? So I thought, I wonder what the world's largest employer would be. And the world's largest employer happens to be the United States Defense. Did you know that? I didn't know that until I did the research. And the United States Defense has 3.2 million employees. By the way, the second largest, Walmart. There you go. All right, here you go. That was sort of interesting. All right. 3.2 million employees. So I thought, I wonder how many military bases the United States defense has around the world. And I found that that there's not an exact number about that because, for instance, we have a lot of troops in Iraq, but technically we have no military bases in Iraq because a military operation in a war zone is not considered a base. So, But I was able to ascertain that we have approximately 800 military bases in approximately 50 countries in our world. And we have 3.2 million employees that work in those places. So those could all be distribution points. That would be one of the largest distribution networks in the world. 50 countries, 800 distribution points with 3.2 million employees. 
And I thought, I wonder how that stacks up against the church. So here are the statistics on the worldwide church. There are 2.4 billion Christians. In all 194 countries on the earth right now. Every country. And there are, are you ready for this? Approximately 24 million individual congregations. Or distribution points. Now, just working on this distribution thing, take a look at this. Here are the figures. That means that even though there are 3.2 million employees in the United States defense, there are 750 Christians for every single employee in the U.S. defense. 750 times more people who could be involved in solving this problem. How many countries? Almost four times as many countries. And are you ready for the big number? 30,000 times more distribution points. God has scattered the church through the entire earth so that the church could be ready to distribute what God wants to distribute to handle the biggest problems. I've just taken it and put it toward extreme world poverty. We could put this toward AIDS. We could put this toward uh, all sorts of diseases. We could put this toward education and literacy. There is not a problem in our world that if the church would actually do the simplest thing that God has called us to do, and that is to take the resources he's given to us and turn around and, and trust him with 10% of it to do his work across the face of the earth. The, the resources and the distribution network are virtually unlimited in how we could change this world. Man, that lights my fire. I had no idea we could do this as a church. So let's bring this down home. What does this look like for us? So... Um, the first thing that God said to me is make sure you tell my people that there is no we without me. There's only them. Does that make sense? I know that's a grammatical thing, but think about it for a minute. There's no we without me. Okay? It will take all of us. And we have four goals as a church in this year that we're praying about that would enable us to, to lay the groundwork to do something Let's say about world hunger, I mean about world poverty. Let me show you how this works. Our goal is to reach 800 people in this coming year. You know why? Because there are people all over our community who are struggling. There are people in our community whose marriages are about ready to blow up. But you know something? If someone invited them to church and said, hey, my marriage was about ready to blow up and somebody invited me to come to church... And I found Christ. And it not only saved my marriage, I have the best marriage now I've ever had in my life. Wow. Do you think that put a smile on God's face? Sure it would. There are people who are struggling in addiction and they want out. Wouldn't it be great if one of us came alongside them and said, hey, I now have seven years clean and sober, but seven years ago, I was right where you are. But I found Jesus through new life. And my life's never been the same. 
Yeah. You see, the point of 800 people is not just 800 people. The point of 800 people is having our church impact our community and have an ever-increasing impact. The second goal for our church is increasing our staff. Because if we bring more people into our church, but we don't increase the size of our staff, then the people who come in start falling through the cracks. And the impact doesn't become lasting in their lives. So more staff is about making that impact last. Kevin has talked to us about adding classrooms and so forth to our church. The point of that is not just so we'll have more classrooms. It's so that the impact can actually be life-changing and we can offer classes on life skills and so forth that the people in our community need and actually people in our church need that we currently don't have space to do. And then last of all, this generosity thing where Kevin is saying, this year, let's top a million dollars. Now that's a big stretch. Because last year we were at $778,000. So that's, a, that's an over 20% increase in one year. That's a, that's a big increase. But if we do that, we start providing the resources to do the above things. I want to show you what could happen if everyone in our church actually decided to tithe. That's at least worth looking at. So I called up Justin, who runs our finance ministry, and I said, Justin, do we have at least 200 families in our church that come here regularly? And he said, Ron, I can always trust you to be conservative. So he said, yes, we have a lot more. It's, it's, it's 300 or more. And I said, well, I'm going to base my facts just on, 200, just on 200 families in our church. If we have 200 families in our church, and they make the, the middle income in our community, Okay, just the, what's mathematical terms called the mean income. That sounds awful, doesn't it? But anyhow, <laughs> it's, it's the middle income in our community, and they all tithed. Our tithe as a church would be $1.6 million this year. Do you realize if we did that, that we as a church alone we could do all of those goals, build the classrooms, put a new roof on the church, do all the things that, 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 that we've been challenged to do. And in one year, we could give a third of a million dollars to work on world poverty. In one year. Now, I don't say that from the standpoint at all of you should. You know how I say that? Let's do this. Yeah, let's do it. This is why God calls us to do this, because He has trusted us with the resources that He's flowed into our lives. And friends, we are blessed. We are all blessed. Our problem is that we find it convenient to spend 97.1% of our income on us. That's the statistic on the American church. Those 138 million, that includes us, the average level of giving is 2.9%. And that leaves 97.1% of our income that we actually spend on us. And I want to say, let's turn that around. Let's be one of those churches that says, let's turn it around and let's start it here. So, I realize that for many of us, 10% would be a huge step. 
And we're not going to get there on our own. So we want to offer some, some resources to you that will help you. And the first thing we want to do is we want to offer to you some budgeting basic classes. We're going to offer three of them. You don't take all three of them. You just take one and you're going to get some budgeting basics. And they start a week from tomorrow. And uh, they're on Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday of that week. The Monday and Wednesday uh, times start at 6.30. And the Saturday one starts at 9 a.m. And I just want to tell you why budget. Budgeting is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Does that make sense? Yeah. We want you to be able to tell your money where to go so you can flow it toward things that actually make a difference in this world. And guess what? If you learn how to tithe, well, let's go to the next tool and then I'll say that. The next tool is I want to be enrolled in the upcoming uh, FPU. That's Financial Peace University Life Group. And that's going to start on Sundays during the 1130 service. And it's going to start toward the end of May and it will run, I think, 12 or 13 weeks. If you take that class and you follow the basics of that class, you will end up probably in less than a year, you will be able to tithe and you will actually have more money left over than what you currently have left over now when you're not tithing. Uh, it's amazing. And, and I would just want you to take advantage of that tool. Plus, you will set up your family to where you have a solid financial plan for the rest of your life and money won't be a stressor to you. Yeah, it's a wonderful tool. So that's the second way in which you can apply what we're going to talk today. And then the third invitation I'm going to give you is one we give every Sunday at New Life. And that is, if you're not currently following Christ, if you're not a person who has, who has said, uh, I'm going to choose to become a Christian today. I want to encourage you to make that choice today so that you can get in on the greatest organization in the world. And it's not just an organization so that you can start a personal friendship and relationship with God. Because the God who created the heavens and the earth wants to be your father. And he created you to be his child. But he will never force himself on you. And the greatest things in your life the greatest perspective that you could ever have begins when you acknowledge, I want to be God's child and I want to follow him. So I'm going to pray and give you the opportunity to make that choice. Would you join me right now? Father, there's a lot of information that's come our way today. Some of it has made us really sad. And some of it has just challenged us to our core. Thank you, God, for making the local church the hope of the world. And, and Holy Spirit, would you just be at work in my friends' lives right now as they process this and as they take this principle of from me to we and, and, and become part of the body of Christ and one of those members that works together in purpose and, and, and action. Um, God, would you show us how to jump on board with this? And for those of us that need that budgeting basics class, um, would you help us to take advantage of that? And for those of us that would just so benefit from uh, FPU, would you help us to enroll in that so that, so that we could get on with this business of, of making a huge difference in the world in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray right now for those who are ready to decide to follow you. Um, and friend, if you're ready for that, 
Here's the simple prayer that you can repeat right where you are, either out loud or in your heart, but you've got to mean it. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin so I could be forgiven and adopted into God's family. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.